Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowRoom.com. In this week's interview, we speak to Anna Schwabe, who is a PhD and a researcher with expertise in cannabis genetics. Uh, it's a real interesting interview, lots of scientific information in this episode, and we discuss quite a bit. But, you know, as usual, it's a nice laid back conversation, but there is a lot of information in this episode as well. It was very cool. But Anna definitely knows her stuff. She's also known as Dr. Anabis, which is a very cool name, I do have to say. And she discusses uh, cannabis plant genetics with us, uh, cannabis plant biology, how she does the testing, how she went about getting the PhD, and all sorts of interesting things like that. We also have a real cool conversation about bananas, which is a strange one. You know, that some virus killed off a load of bananas from back in the day, and bananas now don't taste like they used to. Very interesting. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, it's real interesting. Make sure you roll yourself something fat, consume a little bit of the cannabis there, and get a little high before you sit down and listen to this one. And I'll speak to you at the end of this. See you in a bit. I am Mackie. I am from the UK, a cannabis grower, smoker, the host of the show. And we also have Monkey Do. So, Monkey, you want to say hello? Hey Anna, monkey down here in the south. That monkey down here in the southeast U.S. along the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, also jet lagged, tired, and refreshed at the same time from Spanabis. So <laughs> highly confused. That, that would be a great description of what I'm feeling right now. And you are Anna. Anna, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners so everybody knows who we are talking to today? Yeah, so my name is Anna Schwabi. I, uh, my friends have uh, dubbed me Dr. Anabis, and there's a whole story behind that. Nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am a population geneticist by trade. I have my master's degree was in cellular and molecular biology. My master's degree was in population genetics, looking at hybridization between two closely related, related cacti, one rare one and one really common one. And then um, I worked at the Denver Botanic Gardens for a little while, and then I came up with this great idea for a PhD project um, looking at cannabis and relationships among different cannabis types, strains, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, so I designed my PhD pro program, was able to find somebody who would let me do it, which was uh, a whole slew of really uh, nice happenstances that allowed me to do that. But yeah, I have a PhD in cannabis genetics, looking at variation, phenotypic variation, uh, and genetic variation in, in different cannabis sort of strains, cultivars, groups, um, whatever you want to call them. So yeah, that's who I am. Well, that That's so cool, man. And uh, when I read the description of like what you do, what your profession is, I was like, damn, this is going to be an interesting interview with lots of cool information, I assume. <laughs> yeah, 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 I ha I do, uh, yeah, lots of different things. <laughs> so uh, what was it called? Population geneticist. Is, is that what you said? Yeah. So what, yeah. Is th what is that? That sounds so, almost scary to ask that. Though, yeah. Monty. Wait a minute. Population geneticist. This is what plants, mm. right? Okay. So it, so genetics is, you know, the study of, of you know, gene you know, DNA and, and genotypes and things like that. 
And within the, the study of genetics, there's three main branches. There's transmission genetics, which is what most people in the cannabis genetic realm work within. So breeders, they're looking at um, what traits are passed from parents to offspring, what's recessive, what's dominant, those kinds of things. So that's transmission genetics, and it involves like heredity and and, and uh, lineages and things like that. Right. Then there's um, molecular genetics, which is looking at specific genes and DNA and structural components of those genes in the genome, uh, dealing with that sort of thing um, at the cellular level and the molecular level. And then there's population genetics, which is me. <laughs> and what population geneticists do is they take that genetic information, they look at differences within the genome to figure out relationships um, uh, like between individuals, among different individuals, um, different populations, different groups, different um, subspecies, species, and, uh, you know, looking at things that are closely related, not so closely related, and basically trying to figure out how everything, um, how relationships are formed or, or in the context of like evolutionary history and in terms of like gene flow, uh, so we can look at things like groups like hemp versus, you know, cannabis types that have been bred for THC or other cannabinoids. We could look at things in China versus the U.S. versus Africa and, and find out the the genetic relationship and the historical relationship among those groups. Wow. And we, we can do that with strains, <laughs> too. So we could look at like Chemdog and Island Sweet Skunk and find out you know, the, the sort of lineage, the history of the family sort of tree there too. So how does this work? How would you find out the genetics like that? Do you take a, a slice of the plant stem and break it down and take a look under a big ass microscope or something? How does that work? <laughs> so in, in every living thing you have, you're made up of cells, right? And that's mm -hmm. from the smallest one cell, single cellular organism, all the way up to the multi, you know, cellular organisms like us, like plants. Um, so you can basically take any kind of tissue from the organism of interest. In this case, of course, it would be cannabis. So any tissue, so that could be stem tissue, root tissue, flower tissue, leaf tissue, um, and you basically grind it up, you break open those cells and you do that, uh, you know, there's there's different methods to do that. But basically what you're wanting to do is get inside the cell and fish out that DNA. And then once you have the DNA out of the cell, you can, there's various different processes to look at different parts of the DNA. You can look at genes, you can look at whole sequences. Um, my specialty and the way that, the, the tool that I use to, to look at different groups, um, I used microsatellites. And I know that's a stupid word in it literally means like it confuses everybody but basically it's like little tiny sections of dna that are repetitive and they're um subject to mutation but because they're not in the coding region they have a tendency to that that those mutations have a tendency to get passed from one individual to another to another to the next generation mm -hmm. and the idea is that the 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 closer those those regions are to being identical to each other the closer they are the the more related they are the more different these little sequences are the more distantly related they are mm -hmm. and it's like one of the cheapest tools to do to look among different groups of things 
Um, and it can answer questions like, are these two things identical or not? Um, it's the way that a lot of cultivars of lots of different plants are identified. Um, you know, when you go to register a cultivar of like tomato, you'll put in some genetic information that says this tomato is different from all the others. And here's some genetic information that shows that a lot mm. of that is done with these, these non-coding regions. It's it. It's also how, um, one of the tools that they use like in, in uh, forensic science, like when, you know, the who done it and they get a drop of blood and they look at the genetic, you know, fingerprint of, of the, um, what do I want to say? The the perp, and they're like, you know, this this genetic identity matches exactly to, you know, Joe down the street who was the gardener. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how they do that too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. wow, it's so it's already so complex. We're five minutes in. I'm like, what? What did you say? <laughs> Wait, what did you say? Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 basically using a genetic fingerprint to identify uh, different um individuals and, and just you know look at the relationship so are you looking at a, a a sibling are you looking at a twin are you looking at a mother are mm -hmm. you looking at two populations that are you know like very similar or very different um yeah just kind yeah. of like family stuff very cool with, sorry with i said with information like that is it possible actually to go back and and map some of these old strains that that uh you know, are still questionable where they evolved and trying to see how they evolved actually? Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, the thing with cannabis is that, you know, we, what makes it difficult is that we don't have like an ancestral type uh, because humans have been messing with cannabis for, you know, uh, mm -hmm. potentially 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. um, we basically erased all trace of what would have been ancestral previous to us messing with it. So what we have is kind of like a puzzle um, that's kind of all over the place. You know, we've got all of, we've got lots of different pieces, but we don't know what the picture on the box looks like. Mm -hmm. oh, I got it. So we can okay. put together like bits and pieces. Um, we can look at you know you would be able to look at if you had let's say uh, a vintage strain of OG Kush and you know um you know this person has had it for like 20 years or whatever you could look and you would be able to pick up traces if that you know there was a new or a modern strain that had been bred from OG Kush that genetic signal would still be there from OG Kush and you could say and determine the level of relationship where mm. OG Kush was involved in making that new modern strain Ooh. so you could tell if it was a cutting of the Kush or numerous generations down the line from the original you could definitely you could definitely tell if it was uh you know closely related like there was a lot of og kush or if it's more distant you know distant bleh, distantly related mm -hmm. um where it might just have like a you know a small signal from that um and this is all just hypothetical um it is it is doable and there are you know there are people who are doing different things looking at <clears throat> strains um phylos was doing some work uh back in the day but you know um they sort of mm, had some issues and yeah. <laughs> went away. Uh, medicinal genomics has their canopedia which shows some some relationships um you know and there's definitely clusters of of you know 
OG Kush types that all seem to be kind of related. And then there's, uh, so there's Kush types, there's the, um, what do I want to say? Um, there's definitely clusters where certain strains all seem to come from skunk number one <laughs> yes for example yes certain yeah. lines have definitely been like they're like the grandparents of all of all these you know modern things that are floating mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. so when yeah. you when it comes to the genetics of a cannabis plant we see so many different phenotypes is, is that something uh like can you trace back one's from white widow so many generations back and one's from a blue cheese or something you can break it down and see which different strains have come together to make this particular one that's also a good question the thing about cannabis is that we've it's been underground like grown mm -hmm. and traded and um propagated and bred underground for so long there's not a lot of great record keeping mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um so we we can unless you have the original breeder it's really hard to know like if you have og kush in your hand is it the real og kush or is it something that somebody yeah. just called og kush mm -hmm. or like and and there's really no way to check anything right now so it is really it's, it's a total complete mess um there's some you know decent databases that kind of have attempted to track some of the lineages um strain finder seed, mm. find, seed finder uh -huh. Um, which is a, a UK company, I believe. They have a, a lot of information on lineage. I don't know how accurate it is, but you know, nobody has accurate information. So it is, you know, we've got what we've got, and we will keep learning about what things are as as things as science keeps progressing, and we keep looking at these things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, what made you get involved with the with cannabis in general? You started off doing a normal PhD and then you just no. You... no, no, okay. I didn't, I never even wanted to do a PhD. I never saw myself going into like, I was fine with just, you know, uh, it was conservation work that I was doing, right. but you know, there's no money in science. There's no money in, there's especially no money in conservation. Um, but while I was working at the Denver Botanic Gardens, I was managing their research and conservation uh, lab, looking at, you know, multiple different rare and sensitive species and um one of my volunteers in my lab was getting into the cannabis industry as as Colorado legalized for adult use in 2015 and I've always been interested in cannabis um you know since I was in high school not just smoking it but it's just a very interesting plant all around mm -hmm. um, yeah. for so many different reasons and so I just it was really intrigued and so we'd have all these conversations and um one of the things that kept coming up was how come the blue dream from this dispensary is different from the blue dream from this dispensary and I I did think that was strange because you know as a, a consumer of anything you have an expectation of a product when you purchase it so mm -hmm, and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what that is uh whether it be ibuprofen or a, a granny smith apple like well, you know they ask you you ask for coke and they're like is pepsi okay it's like no it's no. not i want coke <laughs> you know <laughs> if they try to slide you a pepsi and you're expecting a coke yeah you well, get you're, you're all like, this one and you know original flavor no sugar like, what well and but even more surprising <laughs> is when you ask for a coke and they give you a sprite you're like yeah yeah, yeah. So imagine if you, you were served a Sprite when you ordered a Coke and you said to the waitress, um, excuse me, I think this is wrong. 
and she says, no, 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 this is a Coke. You're mm-hmm. crazy. Like, this is our that- version of Coke. Right, prove that it's not a Coke. You can't do it. Um. So, yeah. Mm. So, I thought that was interesting. And, and really, the question then became, because it's a, it's a living organism and it has DNA, all right, so we know we know dispensary A has blue dream. We know dispensary B has blue dream. There's reports that they're different. Really, the question becomes, are they genetically the same? Because if they're not genetically the same, then there's no wonder that they're different. Mm-hmm. If they are genetically the same, why are they different? What's driving that difference that mm. people can definitely tell that these two products are different? Mm-hmm. So that's where my interest first uh, sparked. <laughs> Um, I was like, okay, so let's drive around to a bunch of different dispensaries, start buying stuff up. And the challenge there was finding the same product at multiple dispensaries. Like Blue Dream was everywhere then. So I had lots of those. Uh, Durban Poison, Sour Diesel. um, Let's see, what else? Girl Scout Cookies was everywhere. Um, Green Crack was another one. Um, One that kept coming up, which was really interesting, was Chemdog. But it was like... Mm. All these different names. There's like Chem Dog, Chem Dog with a W, Chem Dog D, Chem Dog Four, Chem Dog One, Chem One, Chem Ninety One, and I was like, "What is going on here?" So I just thought maybe they were like local variants or like dispense. You know that grow has is got something a little different about this one, so they renamed mm-hmm. it. So I I would buy all the Chem Dogs that I could find. Um, and then looked at all of that stuff and and tried to figure out, you know. Uh, are different things being sold under different names, you know? And and the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) there's no doubt, yeah. Yeah, and something was really interesting. So all the chem dogs, I found out about the legend of chem dog, about the, you know, he bought a a pound or whatever, and there were 13 seeds, and chem dog (laughs) is the person, and he named them, you know, one, two, three, four, and... There's this whole legend, if you don't yeah, know about There's it. so many legends about so many different strains. It's crazy, you know? Yeah. Northern so, Lights number five. Yeah, so so there was like <laughs> Chemdog 91, and then there's Chemdog ABCD, but only D made it through. So now we have Chemdog D, and then there was a one, two, three, four. Four made it through. Um, anyway, <laughs> the, the, the genetic signal that I picked up from the Chemdogs, they weren't all identical, but they were all really similar. Hmm. And and it was what I would expect to see um, among plants from different seeds. So yes, they're highly related because they came from the same parents, but they're not identical. Kind of like me, my brother are not identical, uh, mm-hmm. but we both mm-hmm. came from the same parents. Yeah, yeah. So it it kind of had that genetic signal, and I was like, wow, that's really really cool because it su- kind of supported the legend that there were thirteen seeds, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that all these different names are from different seed lines. So you can tell the difference between the phenotypes when you have it a lot like because it's essentially like you said, brother and sister, well, sister and sister for female plants. You, yes. you can tell just that slight difference. What are them slight differences that you're looking for? Like, you, for example, eye color. Can you tell the different kind of things like that with the plants, like a terpene profile? Which terpenes are going to be more dominant with the particular ones? Um. So so just so the thing is, is when I was going around shopping, I wasn't privy. I did it as a customer, and so I wasn't privy to seeing any of these plants grown. It was right. just basically, you know, what I was able to receive in the little jar that I mm-hmm. bought. Um, <clears throat> in terms of being able to tell, um, different phenotype. I mean, 
yes and no is the short answer to that right. <laughs> <laughs> because there seems to be so another thing that i did is i looked at samples that were genetically identical from different dispensaries and i looked at their terpene and, and cannabinoid profiles and even when they are genetically identical their terpene and and cannabinoid profiles can be quite different hmm. and we're not talking about a difference in harvest time where maybe the ratios like you know like something harvested a little earlier might not be as well developed um as something harvested a little late it was markedly different which right. tells me that <clears throat> not only is is the is the genetic I, you know, the genotype driving the phenotype, there's a large component for the environment to impact that final product. Mm -hmm. So in terms of being able to identify something based on its terpene or cannabinoid pro profile, no. And not only that, uh, you know, your terpene profile changes over time. So it's like a, a I, I like to mm. use a banana analogy. You can have the exact same banana on the plant you know, growing, it's a green mm -hmm. banana, you harvest it, it, it's still green, it starts to ripen over time, it turns yellow, you start to get a few brown spots, it gets darker in color, and eventually it'll turn black. That exact same banana over time is going to be different in appearance, in mm. smell, in taste, in texture, oh, all yeah. of those things, even though it's the exact same banana and cannabis is no different. Yeah, that's a good analogy that. Mm. Yeah, and it and it makes it very confusing because you know you can't trust a terpene profile, um, not only to tell you what you're gonna get, um, or be able to identify, but also that when they do terpene profile testing, they do it at the time when that plant was you know when that flower was picked and sent into the lab, hmm. unless you're smoking it the next day. <laughs> Your what you're putting in your body is going to be different than what that test said because that test is doing a snapshot in time, hmm. and we know that there's you know cure if it comes if you know if it goes in after curing fine but there's also time to sale there's storage conditions and even when you purchase it, um you know most people well <laughs> some people do but a lot of people don't smoke it all right away you know they they it sits on the shelf in their bedroom or something for. Ooh you know, a few days or weeks or months. And that those, you know, those, that it's going to be different from when mm -hmm. it was tested. So, which makes things all the more complex. Wow. <laughs> so does that mean that we pretty much can just forget about those analysis we see on the package then? I don't know if you would say forget about it. Some, some terpenes are more volatile than others. Some are more likely to, you know, evaporate than others, uh -huh. but you know, it's just, it's just, I like to educate consumers that, um, you know, a lot of this is marketing stuff. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, anything less than, or, you know, it's not a good product It's just not, maybe the best descriptor and especially mm, okay. when, we're, when we're when we're putting labels on things saying oh this has limonene in it it will make you feel like this like well first of all when you actually get it in your body does it have limonene second of all has limonene shown to be or to do these things um through scientific research i mean we've got lots of information on essential oils and aromatherapy but not necessarily on on when it's ignited mm -hmm. and smoked, 
uh, you know, some of these things don't translate directly um, from consumption methods. Mm -hmm. Got it. Do you do any work with uh, land races? Uh, I would love to. Um, I work with a, a nonprofit organization called Agricultural Genomics Foundation. Right. And we're just kind of, I mean, it's been around for a while. Um, Danielle Overgara uh, started it in oh, 2000, somewhere between 2011 and 2015. Right. But we're just kind of <laughs> ramping it up and trying to, we're, we're, um, looking to start getting some real work done. Um, and on, you know, one of the top projects on our list is trying to get a full picture of cannabis around the globe in not just right now, but also in an evolutionary, you know, in, in historical sense, which we feel there's a lot of bits missing, uh, including land races. You know, there's been work done throughout Europe to show relationships and history of, of dispersal through Europe and, and China. But we're missing things like Africa and Hawaii and, um, you know, Jamaica and all of these places. And, and we would really like to try to paint a more complete picture, a global picture of cannabis, okay. Australia. You know, got you mm. know, um, Australian bastard mm. cannabis, right? Which was there for quite a while. We don't really have that even in there, as far as I know. But so, right. yeah, that's that's one of our pet projects is is trying to get a a more global uh, view of what of, of cannabis land races, um, and and potentially bottlenecks in terms of what strains we have today versus what we had in terms of genetic diversity. 20, 50 years ago. So is it like just a big family tree? You say you went out to all these different places where the land races come from, you know, from China or from Afghanistan and India, the Himalaya. You go to these different places and get some genetic samples from them specific types. Would you be able to get genetics like from nowadays, get a wedding cake and see where it came from, from those particular land races? Potentially, potentially we could find out what are the, you know, great, 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 great grandparents. Um, but if you think about it in a family tree sort of sense, you know, you've got your king and queen at the top and then you've got their kids and their kids and their kids. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get to the last generation, there's thousands of kids Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that are going to be more closely related to each other uh, on certain branches than on other branches, but eventually, but they all kind of share this um, connection to the to the the king and the queen at the top of the tree. Mm -hmm. right. So potentially, you would be able to figure all that out, and um, you know that would there there's different software and and statistical analysis for genetic um, information that you can use to to figure all that out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, you could you could. You could kind of do that yeah it would just be hard work because there's so many strains out there nowadays there yeah. is and they're not they're, they're not uh you know pure bloodlines they're mm -hmm. uh, hybrids of hybrids of hybrids of hybrids so um you know in terms of like what we would think about um looking at that sort of situation i like to think of dogs i'll give you another analogy i'm mm -hmm. big on analogy <laughs> uh, 
dogs, right? So you think about a purebred dog um, versus a mutt. Um, a mutt is a mixture of all kinds of different dogs. Um, not They're not directly descended from wolves, but way back in the day, they would have wolf, you know, they'd have a, a really genetic link to wolves as all mm -hmm. dogs do. But you would find, you know, bits of maybe Doberman and Dachshund and Great Dane and I don't know, Terrier, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so a mutt is just a combination of like lots of different kinds. And kind of that's what we have in most cannabis. It's just, it's, it's a mishmash of all kinds of things. And you've selected puppies that you think are cute or plants right. like the traits of. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a new breed. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just select a puppy and say, hey, AKC, I have a new breed of dog. They're going to laugh at you. Like, mm -hmm. no, it's just a cute puppy. And that's cool, you know, and you get to keep that puppy for as long as that puppy lasts. However, if you do want to create a new breed from this puppy that you found, uh, you've got some work to do. You know, you've mm -hmm. got to breed that puppy with the parents, which is unfortunate, but that's how you got to do it. And then, you know, you take the offspring from that litter and then you uh, inbreed and you kind of inbreed and select and inbreed and select and inbreed and select and back cross and select and and eventually you take two of these puppies that have the same phenotype you breed them and you get nothing but those puppies now mm -hmm, you've got to mm -hmm. breed and and ideally that's what you would want to do with plant cultivars as well but we don't have that in cannabis and there is reasons for that um one being the underground uh nature of it in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even in most countries today but um, you know, it just doesn't make sense to do all that work uh, when it's illegal. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get any protection. You're not going to be able to go anywhere and say, hey, I made a new cult cannabis cultivar because they're going to put you in jail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, so, well uh, rolling, rolling back a little bit along the land race lines and a little bit about what you just said there. There was a small discussion over at Percy's about land races. And someone was saying that they believed if. And if an infection in a land race gene pool was introduced, that the the uh, land race would outcompete and erase the the uh, gene infestation in time. It didn't sound right to me. What what are your thoughts on that? Um, I I don't. That doesn't make say that again because that doesn't really okay. make much. <laughs> yeah, it kind of went around. I'm, excuse me, I'm a little, I'm a bit jet lagged today. But no, no, yeah. no, that's fine. I yeah. Basically, what they were saying was that the gene pool of the land race was so strong that it would outcompete anything you threw at it because it was natural for it to do that. I mean, I think it would depend first of all on the pathogen that you throw at them. True. I mean, nothing's impervious to everything. The thing about land race, uh, you know, like a land race population or, you know, like if you've got a wild growing population that has locally adapted to a geographical region, um, it has a lot of genetic diversity, which allows in any kind of plant, genetic diversity allows for um, things like diseases to not wipe out an entire population. When you have monocultures uh, where everything is basically genetically identical, if there is a pathogen that's introduced to a population and it is a monoculture, that pathogen is going to hit everything the same because wow. you don't have the genetic diversity to fight off uh, that pathogen because there are going to be some plants that are uh, in, a, in a genetically diverse population. You're going to have some plants potentially uh, or hopefully that 
will be able to survive a pathogen, maybe not well, but survive well enough to get to reproductive age and have offspring. And then potentially because they did reproduce, those offspring might actually have a, a um, an advantage, a, a survival advantage over, you know, the plants that just, that just died. Mm -hmm. So now you would have a population that is a little bit more resistant to that, to that disease. I mean, there's, it's a pretty complex um, idea, but like, mm -hmm. Bananas. I don't know if you guys are old enough to, oh, to yeah. <laughs> remember the gross Michael and that all of a sudden there were no bananas because there Ooh. was a disease that basically wiped out all the bananas because they were all clones. Mm -hmm. uh, and the disease just took out, out all the bananas. And that's why we now have the gross Cavendish. Gross, yeah. gross meaning yucky, not gross meaning. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like Cavendish bananas. I would have much preferred the gross Michael. Uh, a gross meaning fat in this case <laughs> but yeah it wiped out all the bananas and so now we have a different kind of banana also another monoculture so if we get another banana disease that attacks cavendish it's going to wipe out all the cavendish bananas um with the same thing happened with papaya ring, ring spot virus it took out almost all the papayas they had to hybridize the papayas that we were using to introduce disease resistance um for ring spot virus and create some protection for papayas but yeah like it's, uh, what is it leaf rust mm -hmm. coffee is a huge concern mm. because it's it's all kind of the same it doesn't have a whole lot of genetic diversity in order to you know get through some of these adverse conditions including diseases it's very yeah, cool. I'm with, I'm Sorry, I'm with you on, I just had to add there. I'm with you on the bananas. I do remember the old bananas and the new ones are nothing like the old ones were. What there was yeah, bananas I, used to be better or something? Wait, what do you oh, mean? Yeah. What happened here? You what know, happened? You know, creamier, more delicious, less fibrous. You know the, oh, you know, the fake banana flavor, like if you get banana flavored um, candy or whatever, it's it doesn't taste like a banana. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh -huh. That's the that's the old flavor of been. That's what a gross Michael tastes. That's what like. bananas actually used to taste like. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Oh goddamn. And what, I love. What happened, man? What happened to the good shit? What? <laughs> it's just a some disease. virus. A fungus. A man. Yeah. yeah. Wiped out all the all the gross my gross Michaels, the fat Michaels. Wow. Yeah. That's so lame. It is so uh, it's like I love banana milkshake, but I do recognize that it doesn't taste very much like bananas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love I love fake banana flavor. I can't stand. I can't not, I can't eat bananas. They're gross. But mm -hmm. the fake banana, give me fake banana flavor any day. Yeah, I have to take the new bananas have to be almost to the point of overripe before they actually have that flavor that I'm looking for. That's but then they're all mushy and gross too. You have to deal with one thing or the other. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's sad. It is. I have I some blue bananas, bananas growing in my in my um, dining room. I've got two banana plants and they're blue bananas. Cool. Which they haven't flowered yet, but I'm hoping one day they will. And these bananas, once they get ripe, uh, they supposedly taste like vanilla ice cream. So I'm like really Ooh. happy. Oh, wow. No. That's that's going to be so cool, man. Mm -mm -mm. You've got to let us know if it does work out, if you do actually grow ice cream flavored bananas. No? <laughs> I, I've been posting on Instagram. I get so excited every time it throws out a new leaf. I'm like, banana update, new leaf. <laughs> so we have an interesting question there. Is uh, it, 
Is she saying a lab leak could destroy all cannabis plants? Is that no, no. I mean, no. Cannabis, although the diversity and the hybridization levels in the modern, like available on the shelf today strains, mm-hmm. um, are, it, they don't have the the genetic diversity that like a wild population would have. Um, we do have. I mean, we already have have diseases that are going around that are causing mm. issues. About powdery the, mildew. Uh, haploid. What's it called? The haploid virus. That's a virus. There's now um, the lettuce chlorosis disease is also hitting hard. We've got um, hemp. We've got a hemp. Is it a hemp mosaic virus? Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, there's several that are are problematic and it is possible that we may have to you know rethink or start looking for a new um for a genetic rescue basically like bringing Mm. in different genetic profiles that we haven't done before from potentially you know land race populations to try and rescue some of these things just like we did with papayas Mm -hmm. um because yeah the bottleneck leads to less genetic diversity which can be problematic the mm. other thing is is you know when you think about think about yourself when you get sick um or when you're stressed out you're more susceptible to becoming sick right mm-hmm. um or when you're sick you can't do other things there's like an energy trade-off so when they you know we keep developing these lines to produce higher and higher amounts of thc and terpenes at some point they're going to be very susceptible to diseases because they're so busy trying to crank out these uh, phytochemicals that really they're not paying attention to, uh, you know, attacks and they're mm. not very good at mounting a response to herbivory or pathogens. So, you know, uh, things that are plants that are, have, have less, less THC production going on, they're more likely to be paying attention to what else is going on in yeah. their health. Closer to the original, you know, closer to the land races, the, the, Plants that haven't been messed with so much. Yeah. And also THC is like, I don't, I don't understand the obsession with THC. It's not an mm-hmm. indicator of quality and it's also not an indicator of how high you're going to get. Yeah. If you really want terpenes, yeah, yeah. if you really want like lots and lots of THC there, like do some cons, like get some concentrates and just, you know. Yeah. It's changed a lot, hasn't it? This uh, this cannabis plant over the last one hundred years is going to have changed a lot compared to what it used to be, and I often think of as well because of the rise in THC. Yeah, it compensates for that elsewhere. You know, what other cannabinoids are now a, a much lower level than they should be because THC has been pumped up so much. Yeah. If you can find that nice even balance of what cannabinoids are supposed to be in a particular strain of cannabis and what terpenes are supposed to be in a particular strain before it's been messed with. That would be nice, man, to find an original. Somewhere out there in the middle of the Amazon, there's a cannabis plant that has never been touched by humans. You know, (laughs) somewhere. Well, if it's out in the the middle of the Amazon, it's been touched by humans. So Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Bad example. Yeah, cannabis. (laughs) Well, you know, people... It's it's not not to say that there's anything wrong with thinking about it like that, but uh, people have a tendency to like only think back so far in history, mm-hmm. and like cannabis didn't just pop up everywhere all at once. It originated in a particular place at a particular time, way back in the day when 
you know, hops and cannabis diverged from their recent, you know, from their, from their common ancestor. Mm. And we think that happened somewhere in Asia. There's debates on whether or not we've pinpointed that location, but following that it was distributed around the world by humans. We took it around Mm. the globe. It didn't just move by itself and it wasn't, you know, like birds that picked it up and dropped it off. It was humans moving it around. Um, So, you know, all of those land races, they were put there originally and escaped from cultivation at some point and became locally adapted to that environment because we took it there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, man. <laughs> how long How uh, long do you think, uh, I mean, do you have any evidence, proper genetic evidence to say how old cannabis is, the type of cannabis we have now? When did it separate from its last ancestor? So the best information that we have comes from a study done by John McPartland. Um, And because we don't have a good fossil record, we don't have a good uh, ancestral type. Like I said, that's just kind of missing because we've messed with it for so long. We can do like a proxy analysis, kind of like a side by side because hops in and cannabis diverge from a recent common ancestor we can look at the progression of hops to where it is today because mm-hmm. we have more information on that and then kind of translate some of that information to cannabis and we've got some fossil we've got some pollen records so things that uh, pollen that was you know trapped in ice or i don't remember how we did it but yes we have an idea that about 28 million years ago hops and cannabis diverged from each other wow a whole 28 million years yeah it's been a while yeah that's a lot of evolutionary time man uh, well in, in evolutionary time scale it's actually not that yeah, i suppose you're right yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not very long <laughs> that's but, you crazy. know, I, I, think, I think the timeline for humans diverging from our common recent you know our common ancestor is uh, I, I, it's it's not even in the millions. It's in the fifty, you know, in the hundreds, yeah, like two hundred and fifty thousand years ago. Yeah, it's in the thousands, not mm-hmm. the, the millions. So, mm-hmm. but plants are much older. Wow! Imagine two million year old weed. You know, <laughs> I, think, I don't think it would be it's very good. <laughs> exactly. No, I don't think it would be. No, you don't know. It might be the shit. Well, it probably, it probably looks absolutely nothing like what we, we see today. Because like, if you think mm. about other um, crop species and, and things that we eat and utilize today, look nothing like their wild ancestors. A wild banana, like you wouldn't want to eat mm-hmm. it. It's full of seed. There's hardly any flesh. Wild, um, you know, wild uh, corn, tiny, mm-hmm. you know, like you tomatoes wanna... as well. They used to be poisonous until we bred them Tomato. a specific way. Strawberries are teeny tiny little things. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. have to eat a ton. Like the wild ancestors of the things that we know and love in in what we consume today are completely different from what you would find in the wild. And I don't know even if we would recognize a wild cannabis plant even if we found it. Like you know, Australian bastard cannabis went un un identified for for years, decades mm-hmm. because it doesn't look like cannabis. Wow. Yeah, I'd still like to try some of that two million year old weed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's always going to be people looking for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want my bat weed, Mac. Just my bat weed, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Search for that old asslinger weed. Turns you into a bat so you can fly around the room. Yeah. 
craziness, yeah. man. I mean, do you yeah. suffer any because in Colorado it's legal, cannabis is legalized, right? Yeah, it is. And I'm in New Jersey now. I was in Colorado, but yeah, now I've moved to New Jersey. It's also legal in New Jersey. Right. Do you before then did you receive any pushback on the research you were doing? Oh yeah. I mean, mm. I would not have been able to do the research I did without um being in a very special time at a very special place. Um even now, I mean, they're really you cannot do research on cannabis at 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 universities. Like you can't. Hemp is becoming like a thing where they're doing research on hemp. It's the same species, so it's not really a big deal. Except, you know, if you want to look at if you want to grow for THC, you can't. So, and in terms of you know going to dispensaries and and do you know doing genetic analysis on you know dispensary thc type cannabis there that was unheard of back in 2015 when i started and you know i went to my professor with this idea and he's like i'm not doing that we're not doing that no uh and, wow. and i was like ah oh, well okay you know i tried but eventually he he thought about it his wife was like why not dude just do it someone's gonna do it eventually just do it and so he was like all right fine we'll do it so he went to the school uh, to the university, he went to the dean, he went to the provost, he went to, you know, everybody and was like, hey, we want to do this project. It, can we, first of all, uh, we went to the lawyer, he went to the lawyers and asked and and it and they all decided that it would be fine as long as I didn't bring any cannabis on smokable cannabis onto campus. So and I it, genetic analysis I don't need to have the plant growing for that I just needed the plant material to extract the DNA from so mm. what I did was um like a prep like a prep step before I would bring it onto campus so that it includes grinding it up and then mixing it with basically soap and then you have okay. it in a test tube and then take it onto campus and finish the DNA extraction there so we didn't actually have any smokable material on campus um so it was kind of like a workaround and uh yeah uh no, nowhere in the u.s was would you have been able to do that other than at the school i think that, that i was going to even though there was um you know and there's even a race cannabis research institute which is an offshoot of csu colorado state university and even there they weren't allowed to have you know thc type cannabis on campus to do anything it was all using public data, all book learning and stuff like that. So mm. must be a pain in the ass to be so restricted in your research. Oh, but you know, when you're restricted like that, it makes you think outside the box and come up with creative solutions, which in the mm. cannabis industry is a must mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. everywhere you turn, you're, you're hit with some sort of rule regulation, some sort of red tape bureaucracy bullshit so being able to think on your toes and be like, oh, you said no, well, I'll I'll do this then, or mm -hmm. we'll you know we'll we'll create a workaround, and it's not like it's being sneaky; it's just being creative. <laughs> yeah, you do what you have to do to get the job done, isn't you? That's yeah, and also having zero available funds. You know, for for research, you need funding, and mm -hmm. the traditional funding sources such as the National Science mm -hmm. Foundation and um, the NIH, the National Institute of Health. Those those funds were not available to me. They don't fund cannabis research. That's shocking. So 
having zero funding was also another challenge. Where do we get the money to pay for all the cannabis? Where, how are we going to, you know, get all this genetic work done with no money? Mm -hmm. So that was all challenging as well, but I got it done in four years and I got it done uh, with under $10,000. Yes. That's amazing. Probably under $5,000 if we, you know, if we're going to. If we're going to add it all up, I would say probably less than $5,000, which is totally, completely unheard of. So yeah, you're very resourceful then. I suppose you have to be. Well, I mean, I, I like to think so. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, I would have, you know, just been paralyzed and I can't do anything. I'm just going to study <laughs> flowers instead. You know? That's what yeah. you do anyway. Yeah, flowers. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So what was it that gave you that extra push to stick with the cannabis and instead of moving off onto something else why specifically did you want to stay doing cannabis even though it's so difficult to do all the studying well it, it was diff i mean it wasn't like i i i, I was never under the uh assumption or i was never dilute uh, delusional about it have, having money for it or it mm. being easy um my school was awesome like they pretty much let me do whatever i want as long as i followed the one rule which was don't bring smokable cannabis onto campus mm -hmm. um my professor helped me work around some of the uh, money issues some of it i paid for out of pocket uh got some internal grants and things like that um and the genetic tool that i was using you know people ask me all the time why didn't you do whole genome you know next gen sequencing whole genome sequencing why did you people like, ask that all the time i don't even know what that is <laughs> <laughs> well, being a geneticist, I know a lot of geneticists and they're like, how come you didn't use the, you know, most modern up-to-date genetic tools, which are so much better? Because they cost like $3,000 a sample as opposed to wow. like $100 a sample and I don't have any money. So I'm going to use the tool that will answer the question that I'm asking, mm. um, you know, reliably, accurate, accurately, repeatably. Um, and, and cost effectively. And cost effectively. So and if you want to, you know, if somebody else wants to go ahead and do the same studies I did with more, you know, uh, in-depth genetic tools to see if what I came up with was reliable, then sure, I am not opposed to that. And actually, one of my studies that I did, um, Danielle Vergara repeated or, or did a very similar study to me using a different genetic, more in-depth tool and came up with the same information. Mm -hmm. So... That says to me that what I did was just fine. We have the answers um, and you can use more expensive stuff, but it's not necessary for these kinds of questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You just help that other researchers proving the fact that you don't have to spend tons of money to get good results. You don't have to spend tons of money to get good results. And, you know, there's a lot of genetic companies out there that are like, oh, we've got the best genetics and tools and you should send your samples into us. And it's only $3,000 a sample. And I'm like, yeah, but you can try. This is not, mm -hmm. you know, unless you want to know like specific genes and stuff, you don't have to go balls to the wall. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in terms of what pushed me and kept me going, like I am so competitive and um, <laughs> like I am kind of an overachiever. So once I got going, there really wasn't anything that was going to stop me. My project completely changed from where I started to where I finished. Um, and some of the work that I did didn't even make it into my dissertation. It's still ongoing. But, wow. um, but you know, I wanted to do it in three and a half years. And my professor was like, 
dude, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to die. We're doing, <laughs> you need to take four. You need to take four years. And that even if it's that last semester is just writing your dissertation, you, you I'm not going to let you graduate in three and a half years. You're just, you you know, that's too much. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to, and that was his job for my whole PhD was like putting the brakes on me. Like, Hey, Hey, slow down. You can't do everything. I'm like, ah, but I want to, I can, I can I want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not talking to me. You're talking to somebody else who can't do everything. Right. Always trying, always trying to reel me back in. Come back, come oh, back, yeah, to yeah. Earth, come back to earth. <laughs> so do you use cannabis as well? Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not a fan of like the, the THC types and, and hmm. um, I get really uncomfortable and I feel sick and gross and itchy and anxious and it lasts a really long time. My, my endocannabinoid system just does not jive with THC type cannabis in general. Hmm. Um, the CBD type cannabis, love it. CBG, fine. Um, some of the, you know, more minor cannabinoids and even some of the synthetic more synthetic cannabinoids you delta eight um i do fine with but i don't it really enjoy i used to be a cigarette smoker for years and i gave that up at the beginning of covid um she so said covid everybody oh everybody COVID. Sorry. sorry 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 uh, that, we just that's the buzzword yeah if the word covid is mentioned people have to smoke just... Oh, okay. Well, you better smoke then. Smoke, um, everybody. Yeah, smoke. It, it's our version <laughs> of uh, the secret word. But and 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 really, I quit because I was too scared to go to the gas station to buy more cigarettes. So I just stopped. All right. Um, huh? <laughs> which I guess you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, edibles. I like. I generally I take some sort of cannabis product most days, whether it be you know CBD at, at bedtime or I just bought some THCV gummies. Mm-hmm. Um, with six milligrams of THCV, 18 milligrams of CBD, and 16 milligrams of CBDV. Cool. Yeah. So I, um, and, and I, I like edibles. I like that. I like the slow onset. I like that I can control it a little better, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm really in need of like a fast hit, like I threw out my back once and I had some CBD type flower as I always do. Uh, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to, this hurts. Let's try this. So I took about three hits and five minutes later, my back was completely fine. And I was like, holy shit. That mm-hmm. stuff hurts. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how, how cannabis just does so many different things for us. Do you do any research, genetic research on the endocannabinoid system in humans or Hell in general? No. Hell no. I don't do people. I do plants. <laughs> ah, <there you> go. <laughs> Seems to be an upcoming trend. <laughs> uh, you know, there there are, uh, yeah, I, um, I used to teach human anatomy and physiology, but I'm definitely not really into human research at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely more interested in, in the plants. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and specifically cannabis plants as well. Do you do any research on any any other plants, or is it just cannabis you work with? Um, like I said, my master's degree, I was looking at cacti. Um, right. So yeah. For, cool. So for a while, I was the cactus girl. Um. Uh. But yeah, then now I'm now I'm Doctor Anibis. <laughs> <laughs> so with and cacti have- as well, did you do any research on the the hallucinogenic, the psychedelic? Oh, it was cacti. just one 
So the kind of cactus that I was looking at um, is in the genus Sclerocactus. And there's about 22 different species of Sclerocactus, but they seem to pretty readily hybridize with each other, hmm. um, and which creates a problem when you've got some rare and protected cacti Sclerocactus mm -hmm. um, and some other widespread Sclerocactus that seem to be just breeding with them, which is kind of the similar thing that we have in, in cannabis. You know, they can all, they can all breed together and um so the land managers were worried that the rare cacti were being bred out of existence because they were hybridizing with these closely related um cacti that were around hmm. which and we found we we found some really interesting information um looking at that but yeah that's where it all started and and um so yeah i was only looking at cacti cacti in that particular genus not looking at just random cacti mm -hmm. so how, how long has it been legalized in colorado now um so since mm, i don't remember when they legalized medical um was that 04 or somewhere early like that i want to say yeah i want to say like i could probably look it up i have a computer right in front of me but uh 2015 is when they legalized adult use i think I think. I think that's right. Wow. It's like nearly eight years ago. God. Damn. And we're still here in the UK just with nothing really. I mean, we have a crappy medical program. Well, and Mackie, and the world didn't blow up in Colorado. You know, they're still doing business and going to school and having jobs and raising families over there. My yeah. Gosh. Everything's doing go. really well. Colorado was 2000 and recreational, so adult use was 2012. So that's right when I started at the Denver Botanic Gardens. I didn't start my PhD till 2015. So that's where I'm getting my dates confused. But yeah, for a while. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a beautiful garden, Denver Botanical Gardens. We really enjoy it when we get, when we get to go over there. Nice place. It is. It is really nice. The they used to have videos of me running in the um, science pyramid. Did you go to the science pyramid? Yes. Um. So they used to have a video of me running. I have pink hair, so you can definitely tell it's me. Next uh, time I go, I will definitely <laughs> look for the girl in pink hair. I don't know. I don't know if they still have that video running. And then there was another video that used to be running constantly in the house where they have all the orchids. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Like I didn't even know it was there, and people would be like, "Oh my god, I saw you on the video." With it. And I'm like, "What? <laughs> What's going on?" So, but I don't well, know if they're still running. Tell me. Well, next, next time I go, I will definitely look because, like I said, <laughs> pink hair won't be hard to see. Exactly. That girl in the white lab coat and pink hair. <laughs> so you still <laughs> working at the botani botanical gardens then? I don't. I'm in New Jersey working for a company right, called yeah, yeah. 420 Organics. We um, grow aquaponic cannabis. Cool. Ah, interesting. Yeah, how is that? Yeah. How's the aquaponics? Um, it's It's been challenging. So we have a closed loop system. Right. So that, that means you know like a lot of aquaponics is a split loop where you take the fish water and and feed that to the plants but we have the fish water goes through um some biological filters and then it goes straight to the plants and then the plants clean it and it comes back to the fish and it doesn't leave the loop and it's wow. not you're not cut off so that creates some challenges in mm -hmm. that number one we can't really add anything. So if the plants need extra nutrients, it's a slow, um, it's a slow process to 
alter the fish's food and make sure that nothing gets really smacked with, uh, you know, a change to the system because it doesn't it doesn't do well when you do that. So if there is a nutrient need, then it's a slow adjustment period. So we really have to stay on top of everything and kind of keep two steps ahead of everything and make sure that our levels are right. Uh, because really the only thing we can alter is the fish food, the number of fish in the system mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. So, so it sounds certified organic to me then. It sure is. It sounds certified complex to me. Oh, yeah, man. It is both. And yes, <laughs> we can't just like, you know, put in some, add some nutrients or do a foliar spray because it could drop down into the system and then mm. kill fish. We could offset our bacterial colony. Oh. Um, and just, and then from there, we just, it just snow snowballs problems after problems. Once something goes wrong, it'll all go wrong. <laughs> so we have to what kind of fish do you use in the tank? Is there a specific um, kind we, of fish that's good? Um, we have a we have a combination of a tilapia, koi, ah. and goldfish, and we don't actually farm our fish. The fish are just for the plants. Um, but I know that uh, there are aquaponic, um, grows that are cultivating both the plants and the fish, mm -hmm. which I think is yes. a great idea. We just don't do that or haven't gotten there yet. So what's the quality of the output or product? Uh, good good quality and good reviews? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, right now, so we have two different arms in our company. We have a hemp arm uh, where we grow CBD, and we will be um, branching out very shortly into more industrial-type plants um, for things like fiber or oil or, you know, whatever, the building mm -hmm. materials. Um, and then we also have our... Uh, THC medical uh, adult use kind of arm um, that facility is being built and it's a we got so in New Jersey they're giving out conditional licenses right now um, we have our conditional license for a micro cultivation um, so that's 2,500 feet of canopy square feet of canopy that we are allowed to grow um, and the facility is being built so we're not up and running on that side yet but um, we do get good reviews from our CBD type flower that we're growing aquaponically. Um, yeah. And we've only grown nice. a couple of different strains. So we haven't really flexed our potential. Uh, but we did just build three new greenhouses. So uh -huh. we're ramping up production and we'll be testing different strains and seeing what works with our uh, setup versus, you know, because we don't know. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the program in New Jersey. Uh, do you have? Do, does your company sell through its own dispensaries, or do you sell to other dispensaries to for distribution? Well, I like I said, we're not up and running it. New Jersey has been real. You know, New Jersey has been slow going. Um, oh, yeah. There's only, you know, they they started taking applications like two years ago, and the system crashed, and so they put a big halt on everything. And there's been this and that and the other. They just finally gave started giving out um, uh, conditional licenses towards the end of last. Oh, I think it was like August. They started giving them out, um, and we just got our conditional license a couple of months ago. No, not even a couple of months ago. Maybe a month ago. I don't know. Maybe December. I don't know what day is it today. <laughs> Friday. It's Friday. Friday. Oh. <laughs> so, 
Um, so we're still we're still in the build out process, but we will be supplying. I mean, hopefully we will have our own dispensary eventually, but we will be supplying to other dispensaries. Um, mm -hmm. I don't I don't know that all that has been worked out yet, but yeah, we're just cultivation at the moment. But we, I think we have also applied for a manufacturing license and possibly a dispensary. I don't know. I okay, don't so know. eventually aiming at going cross platform is what it sounds like. Yeah, why not? <laughs> sure. I mean, it's the best thing to do is that that way your you know your product is treated properly from uh, seed all the way to uh, consumption. Exactly. And you know we're really passionate about you know everyone's selling the same shit. Oh uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It all tastes the same. It all smells the same, and it all feels icky. Um, AKA we, Blue Dream, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't even find Blue Dream anymore, really, though. Sad. It's everything, you know, it's all this wedding cake and Skittles and cookies and candy and uh, I don't even know. But mm -hmm. we, we really want to put some stuff on our shelves that's different that you can't find at all the other dispensaries. You know, we want to have vintage stuff, things that have gone to the wayside or been forgotten about. Not forgotten about by everybody, but forgotten about in terms of what you can get in a retail dispensary. Because I we feel like there's still a lot of interest in those, you know, old school strains. And mm -hmm. they have such a nicer quality. I talked to, um, we were talking to Mojave Richmond and, and Todd McCormick. And Todd McCormick likes to say, you know, cannabis is like a box of crayons, like the 64 box you know of colors but what's available on the shelf is only like 12 of those colors we we have mm. forgotten or lost like so many of the colors mm -hmm. that's available from the from the cannabis plant we've just kind of bottlenecked it so badly that now we you know we're only working with like red green blue and yellow mm-hmm I know exactly what you mean. That's that's an advantage of being a home grower. I can actually go back and find the genetics that I want to I want to experience. Yeah, and you don't have anyone saying, "Oh, that's not going to sell or not growing that because it's only." No, but I don't care. Don't care. THC. Yeah, yeah. I like this one. It tastes like dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or cat piss. That's it. Yeah, that one dog too. shit and cat piss. Man, people love those weeds. We had one out there in Spanabus, didn't we, Monkey? There was a uh, cheetah piss. piss. Cheetah piss. That's the one. Yeah, cheetah, cheetah piss. piss. So, yeah, very cat pissy. <laughs> <laughs> very, it was a pissy strain, yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound appealing to me, but, you know, I do know people like that. What? Oh. One, one of those colors in the 64 crayon, box of crayons, I guess. That's right, that's, that's right. That's what it is, yeah. I think it's more of a yellow color. <laughs> a, dark, <laughs> oh, a dark yellow. Poor. Oh, poor. <laughs> Shit, sorry. But yeah, uh, bad joke, right? It was no, it's cool. Yeah, it was good. good. It's good quality. Get that joke, man. Come on. This is our role. <laughs> I'm here all week. <laughs> and, 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 and pass that too. Damn. So what research do you think is coming up in the future for cannabis? Do you think there's going to be any major breakthroughs or anything? I mean, I, I think, okay, so I, in terms of genetic research, um, we're still, as I said, trying to put this puzzle together and get figure out the chromosomes and the cannabis genome is really repetitive. So it's not just, you know, one gene in one place in the genome that leads to THC production. It's m multiple genes 
or yeah, it's multiple regions and it's repeated throughout the genome. It's really complicated. So I think a mm. lot of research is going to go towards finding these genes <clears throat> for the various traits that cannabis expresses, including, you know, THC production, but other things as well, mm -hmm. uh, potentially pest resistance, you know, if there's a powdery mildew resistant gene, uh, to be able to have that identified in certain strains would be good for, for some growers, um, being able to look at the genome and maybe get a good idea of the expression of different terpenes and cannabinoids in the final product. Um, I think there's going to be, I lost my train of thought, uh, stoner. <laughs> you know? <laughs> definitely trying to figure out uh, you know there's we know about thc we know about cbd cbg is coming online we don't know a lot of we don't know a lot about lots of the other cannabinoids um mm -hmm. they're produced in low quantities in the plant so we've kind of been ignoring it just assuming that abundance equals potency which i feel is a grave mistake i think that a lot of the effects from cannabis don't actually come from the two big abundant cannabinoids i think there's little tiny guys in the background packing a huge punch and we're not even mm -hmm. we're, we're not even on our radar so we but just... it's the only thing that makes sense isn't it because that there's so many different highs you get from different cannabis and oh yeah it can't just I... be down to the two cannabinoids man the two exactly. big ones anyway it's a fine and balance of lots of things and it's so easy just to measure the ones that are found in abundance because, mm. you know, it's measurable, right? So right. we only ever measure, I think, you know, maximum 10 cannabinoids and we're completely missing all of the micro cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just assuming that because, you know, uh, it, you know, I mean, it comes down to do what's easy. Um, same yes. thing with terpenes and those are not the only two things in the cannabis plant that lend to the effects, right? We're totally mm -hmm. missing flavonoids and the thiols and all kinds of other compounds. Um, so I think there's going to be some interest and in some research done looking at these other phytoconstituents uh, to find out what the, you know, there's more going on that, that we don't really understand yet. There's mm -hmm. a lot going on that we don't understand yet. I feel like we've really only scratched the surface in terms of research um of what this plant how it works what it does uh the endocannabinoid system was only discovered in 1996 and so we're only just learning about that even crazy so uh even you know they're not even really teaching the endocannabinoid system in medical school yet mm -hmm. uh as i said i taught anatomy and physiology for years in grad school and we it you know it's the, the textbooks for anatomy and physiology are broken down generally by system so we've got you know the skeletal system the muscle system the endocannabinoid system is a whole system it got one paragraph in Damn. the lymphatic system i think is where it was located in the book and it's like but that's its whole system that controls all the other systems and that's all it gets like it just hasn't made it into the books yet. So I think there's going to be a lot of that uh, sort of research going on in terms of, you know, people and the plant. I think um, tr diversification of the gene pool. I think there's a lot of 
worry that we are hybridizing everything so much that we're ending up with everything that looks and smells and tastes the same just with different names it's you know it's like mm. subway subway you walk into a subway they, they can make you a all the sandwiches kind of taste the same <laughs> yeah that's you know uh, yeah. you know all subways smell the same they all their sandwiches taste the same mm-hmm. so i think there's going to be some interest in um revamping and renewing some of the diversity in cannabis uh using marker assisted selection using genetic information to to direct breeding programs mm-hmm. but not just sticking two things together and seeing what happens but actually using genetic information to drive breeding programs to kind of um be more productive be more targeted in in you know because you can waste a lot of money on a breeding program if if you're just kind of chucking and praying mm-hmm. yep <laughs> so we should uh i don't know wrap things up and let you go and do your thing are you probably very busy you got some more research to be doing probably not actually going to cook dinner i almost i was worried that i was going to come at the wrong time because we just last saturday our time changed so it's 5 30 here now all right <laughs> but you know it my it- my calendar was saying five o'clock and i'm like but four o'clock is now five o'clock like yeah i was really confused for a hot minute but i was like i'll just show up at the right time and hope that it it's that time of year where we get it twice every year like we book all these interviews with guests and then the time comes up it's like oh shit somewhere's done daylight savings yeah, yeah what, what exactly. do we do <laughs> no, well i figured i'd show up at both times and one of them would be right nice yeah, we, have, we have panel members in three countries and all three countries change time zones in different uh, daylight saving times on different weeks so mm. it's a lot of fun that that sounds fun <laughs> yeah Super interesting talk. I love talking about cannabis and all this stuff. Thanks yeah, well, for, well we, we like to talk about anything. We like to go on loads of random tangents like gay frogs and, <laughs> and bottled water, you know. Whatever comes up. Bottled water. Bottled water. Is it, I mean, is there any anything you'd like to promote while you're here on the show? Have you got the, the YouTube channel or places people can go and check out your work? Well, so, I mean, I guess the best place to go to learn anything about me or read my research is my website, um, mm-hmm. which is annashwabi.com. That's right. It's it's in the chat right now. So if anybody wants to click on yeah, that. Yeah, and on, on my website, I have, and I'll put this, this up there as well. I have my research. So all of my research that's been published, including the cactus stuff. I did some stuff on education and and making it easier for students in anatomy and physiology classes to to learn better because that's a really hard class if anybody's ever taken it you know what I'm talking about and then of course all my cannabis research um, I am going to have a new study published here coming up very shortly in PLOS um, about THC inflation on labeling. Oh right. boy, I like okay. that topic. Yeah. Yeah, it's been accepted and they've just been they've been really slow, but it's coming out um really, really soon. They've been working on this since 2018. So it's a good study and hopefully it'll make people realize that the labels don't match what's in the jar. So there's really no point in like shopping based on THC because they're lying to you anyway. Wow. Just whatever it says on the jar, multiply it by 0.7 and you'll get the real THC value. Oh right, right. So <laughs> 
and well, it's then, almost sound, it's almost sound like you really can't buy your cannabis by what's on a jar period because before you were talking about strains being in the wrong jars even i know i know crazy i know just if, you, if it smells good if it if it looks good and you want it just yeah buy that um idea. it also has like my if if you want to see what i did in school i somebody had the wherewithal to record my phd just like defense and so that is up on my website. So you can watch me defend my work from my PhD, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, various interviews. And then some of my botanical illustration is on there as well. And you can, you can, it has all my like social media. So you can connect with me, send me an email, like follow me on Instagram, whatever you want. Sweet. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Anabis. Everybody. Dr. Anabis. Anytime. It's yeah, anytime gonna... you want to come back. If you've got stuff you want to talk about, you know, the, your new paper comes out, things like that, you're always welcome. So give yeah, us a shout, man. Chat. Let us know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's talk about THC potency and how um it's not how it's inflated and what people can do about that. And uh, yeah, that yeah, that sounds a good idea. When's that paper released? You say in sometime soon, right? Yeah, so hopefully within the next couple of weeks, like really soon. Cool, cool. Well, when it's when it comes out, you know, let us know. We'll uh, share the link, and we'll get you back on to talk about the results and the findings and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. I'd love that. Thank nice. you guys so much. Sweet. I no, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming to join us and to chat yeah. with us for a couple of hours. There, we lovely, enjoyable. It learned a lot. Really mm. good. All right, so think on it, and then you're probably going to have a million questions, and then you can invite me back, and we can. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> no I'll be here next time. I'll take you up on that now. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. I love it. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Anna. Doc. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, bye. We're waving. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye, everybody. There you go. There we go. She has gone. Yes, she is. Nice. And there we go, everybody. That was Anna Schwabe. So... As I said, very cool interview, man. Lots of real cool information there. And if you want to know more about Anna, then just head to her website, which is annaschwabi.com. Very easy to find, and you'll see all of her information there about everything. Also, just to add, we found out today that our podcast, High on Homegrown, is in the top 2% of all podcasts ever created. And there's like over 3 million podcasts, and we're in the top 2%. So that is very cool. And the only reason why we are here at this level is because of people like you who download and listen to the show. So thank you very much for everything you do for the podcast by downloading the show, listening to the show, sharing the show with your friends, and, you know, just being part of the community in general. So thank you for that. This is all down to people like you who listen to the show. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I hope you enjoy all the interviews. We have some very cool ones coming up in the future as well, including Jeff Lowenfels, who's coming back to the show to tell us about his upcoming podcast. So stay tuned for that one next week. Anyway, stay high and stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one, hopefully on Friday for the Grow Guides. But if not, we'll see you on Sunday for the live show over on youtube.com slash high on homegrown. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.